God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe of, of Christians, Christians broadcast, either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians broadcast. I'm your host, Brandon Dawson. Now, just the other day, the Lord revealed to me a very profound and very incredible end times prophecy that I have never seen or heard of before, and it's found right in the first two chapters of Genesis. Now, this prophecy has a lot to deal with the creation week. It's a prophecy found in the very last thing that God created. Now, if I ask you guys the question, what was the very last thing that God created? I guarantee you that most of you guys would probably get the question wrong because God's very last creation wasn't man, nor was it animal. It was something else. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth in the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth, no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, something very interesting happens here. God created everything, including man, but God had not yet created woman. Now, if you were going to create man and woman, wouldn't you create them both at the same exact time? But God didn't do that. Instead, God first creates all the animals, the birds and the fish, then God creates man. And then God brings all the animals, all the birds, every living creature to the man so that the man can name them. And the Bible says that he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, and that was its name. So the man gave, gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. This is, very, uh, this is, in fact, the very first act of free will. This is the very first recorded choice in the entire Bible. The first choice in the history of creation. And that choice is the choice to choose and name 
or in the identity of all these living things, animals, and creatures. Except one clear choice that was absent from all of those choices. The man did not get to choose his own name nor his own identity. In fact, the Hebrew name for the word Adam is the word Adama, which means earth or red earth, identifying the reddish color of clay. So the man honestly really didn't even have his own name, didn't even get to pick out his own name. His name was earth. That's what God called him, earth. Now, there is something even extraordinary about the name, the process of where the name actually comes from. Verse 19, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living thing, that was its name. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, for some reason, God did not create the woman the same at the same time that he creates the man. Her creation was delayed. It wasn't until after Adam saw and named all of creation until God actually creates the woman. So Adam realizes that he is the only human on the face of the earth. There's nobody like him. He's made in God's image, but there is no other image or likeness created for Adam. Nowhere. Why did God do that? Why didn't God just create the woman from the very beginning along with Adam? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took from the man's rib and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So God created all living things, the livestock, the animals, God made man. God brings all the animals to, to Adam, all these living creatures to be named, which is the very first act of free will, of choice. And then Adam names all the things, all these living things. And then God finally makes woman. And you'll notice here, you'll notice that woman was not made, at the, like I said, at the same time of man. And woman was not made also she wasn't made the exact same way that man was. See, man was made from the ground, from the earth. Adam's name, which literally means earth. But woman was not made how man was made. She was made from a living thing. She was made from flesh and bone, not the ground. She was made from a literal living being. Now, there's also four other very important details about this. Now, number one, the Bible articulates that the very breath of God entered the nostrils of the man, but not the woman. Now, it's possible, you'll, but you'll also note that the Bible does not also articulate that the breath of God being breathed into any other creation either. It just articulates the man. Now, number two, the woman is named by Adam, not God. It was Adam who named all of creation, including the woman. Just as Adam doesn't get to identify himself, the woman also gains her identity from Adam. Now, the woman did not have a name yet. Number three, the woman did not have a name yet. Adam is named. He's named by name in verse 20 and also in verse 25 is Adam. But the woman is not named a personal name yet. She's only called woman. She isn't given a name until actually in chapter three. Now, number four, the command concerning the Garden of Eden. Okay, this is very important. The command that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden 
is spoken directly to Adam. But it's there's no mention anywhere of the command being spoken to the woman. Even if you look in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 29 and 30, concerning the creation of mankind, both male and female, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for fruit. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for fruit. Now that's it. There's no mentioning of the command about the tree of knowledge to the woman. Not anywhere in the Bible. So here, God has established order. There's a reason why the woman was chosen to be created last and why she was created from living flesh and not the earth. Now, being last doesn't mean that she is the least of all creation or somehow less important uh, than all creation. In fact, it's the opposite, the most significant of all creation. God's most significant creation wasn't only the creation that he made after his own image. So we know that mankind was God's last creation, but God's very last creation, literally the very last physical thing that he created, was in fact woman. Now that implies an even more very significant purpose, even greater than man. Why or how do we know this? Because God took the extra time to not only create her last, but he brought every single animal and living being to the man to be named before creating the woman and seeing what the man would call her. And the woman is the only, and I mean literally, the only creation among the entire earth that was not created from the earth. That means something. So why would God do that? Why in this matter? Why in this way? Why? Why? God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make, uh, he didn't make man Bring all the animals to the man and say, oh, hey, I, for, I forgot to make a mate for Adam. Because every other animal had a mate, both male and female, except Adam. God wasn't like, hey, we forgot to make a female human. He didn't forget. God is making a statement here, not just to the man, but to all creation, heaven and earth. This is a matter of historical record, a matter of God's word. This is literally the last thing that God does before He's re- before he rests, before the seventh day. So this is indeed extremely significant. And what is that significance? Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. You'll also notice something very important and significant here. The very first verse after creation. The very first verse after creation, this is the very first step of the journey. History, the story of all mankind, the story of salvation, where it all begins. The very first verse that kicks everything off. Verse 1, chapter 3, which says, Now the serpent was craftier than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? So the first verse of our history, the first verse of our journey, of how it all begins. It begins with the serpent going to the woman. And you'll notice that she also still does not have a name yet. She's just called woman. And so it starts with a question, an important question, about something that God said about a command that was given. Now remember, the command was was spoken by God to the man. It was for the man to relay the command to the woman. And so, yeah, the serpent knew that. And you'll notice something... Very significant in the reply that the woman even adds in 
She adds in something extra in here that isn't recorded in the original command. She says in verse 3, God did say you must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, I checked every single translation, uh, and I cross-referenced all the verses in the Bible. None of them say anything about not touching the fruit. In fact, there's nowhere in the Bible where God commanded not to touch the fruit. There was no reference anywhere in the Bible that God said, do not touch the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Because if God had said it, it would have been recorded. But it does not, in fact, uh, say that. But it does say, in fact, that God commanded not to eat it. But for whatever reason, the woman decides to add that part into the command. And it's important to know exactly Exactly what God says. Because when we add stuff in there, we get confused. So this is the first place where we actually get a perversion or a manipulation to God's word. And that is where confusion and doubt is birthed. When we add or take things away from the Bible, from God's word, no matter how close to the truth it may sound from the word of God, something may sound like something that God would have said. But did he, in fact, actually say it? That's how the devil works. That's how the serpent works. So the serpent says, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the next significant thing to notice here is, one, neither sin, evil, or death existed yet. Not at this point. There's no such thing as sin or, or evil or death. The only slightest mentioning of them is in the differences between night and day. But even in the Hebrew translation, there's no root uh, to evil or sin in those words at that time. So how would they know that the word? E how would they even know what the word evil or death even means if it doesn't even exist? She doesn't know. So neither her nor the man have any idea what good or evil is, good or bad, or what death is. None of that has even existed yet. And honestly, everything there, if everything that exists in this time came from God's very hand of creation during the creation week, right? It's day six. And at the end of each day, God called all of his creation good. Then could there honestly be anything bad in it? So if there is nothing bad, then what else could there be to compare it to? Uh, other, what else could there be to compare if there's only good? So in reality, the woman's question is, what is good and what is evil? Now you'll notice that God did not say that they could not eat from the tree of life. They could have eaten from that tree. But if you have no idea what death is, then what purpose does the tree of life have to you? What could you possibly gain from a tree that gives life if you've already got life? So that's why they didn't eat from it or even consider it. Now, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and she ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Now, here's another very significant detail a lot of people miss. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden, the cool of the day, okay, this was in the morning. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? 
Now, of course, God already knows what happened. And of course, God already knows exactly where they are. But he asked anyways. And you'll notice, the Bible doesn't say that God called out to them or that God called out to the woman or the man and the woman. It says, God called out to the man. Where are you? Then you'll notice something even more significant, that the man doesn't even answer God's question. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So Adam doesn't tell God even where he is. He, he says he's afraid, and he is hiding, but he doesn't answer God's question because he doesn't want to die. He realized, or he didn't realize what he had. Remember, God told him that he would die if he ate the fruit. So now his obvious thought is that God is going to put him to the death. So he doesn't answer his question. He doesn't tell him where he is. So today, we sin without even questioning the consequences of that sin. There's no fear of death, nor is there any fear of God. Nothing. So the details, in fact, matter here. So now God goes down the list, beginning with the man, then to the woman, and then to the uh, serpent. Now remember, sin and evil didn't exist yet, or at least up until this very moment. So there's no concept of forgiveness or repentance. They didn't even know what death or evil was, at least not fully anyways. So the woman, she blames the serpent, and God curses the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock? Well, first... Adam blames the woman, and then the woman blames the serpent. So God curses the serpent, and he says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. Now, concerning the serpent, we know this, this specific, this particular serpent that was in the garden was not, in fact, a snake. Almost all of us can acknowledge that. We know this was not a snake. The snake doesn't come up until after God cursed the serpent. But the two are still completely unrelated scientifically or genetically. The only place where we see the name serpent in the actual account of the creation week is in Genesis 1.12, where it says, God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed with their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. So the Hebrew word in that verse for sea monsters or sea creatures in that verse is the Hebrew word Tannin, T-A-N-N-I-N in English, which literally means serpent, dragon, or sea monster. It does not say snake or mean snake. So this word is also the very same exact word that is used to describe Leviathan in the book of Job, which describes Leviathan as a dragon. This is why most scientists have actually found identical links between birds and dinosaurs, actual literal genetic DNA similarities between the two, but not snakes and dinosaurs, okay? The serpent was created the, day, the same day that fish and birds were created, on day five, the day uh, all the water creatures and the birds were created. The serpent originally didn't crawl on the ground, but he walked, even talking at some point. And so if the serpent somehow evolved into a snake, then there would be identical genetic DNA that could link snakes to dinosaurs, but there really isn't much. Okay, there is, a, in fact, this is scientific, there's a lot more of a link and a genetic similarities that they have found between birds and dinosaurs. Okay, that's because they were both created on day five. And so you'll also notice that the serpent was also identified with part of the livestock also, with the cattle and the beasts. So 
It's most likely that the term here for serpent implied not a snake, but perhaps the dinosaurs, okay, also known as the dragons. So this is also probably why the dinosaurs no longer exist, because God cursed them above all other animals. This is most likely why God destroyed the dinosaurs, why they no longer exist. This is where we get the term, the word dragon from, which also describes Satan. Throughout the Bible, as a dragon and a serpent, Satan's described as a dragon and a serpent. The dragon fits the description of a dinosaur, not a snake. And so this is why the Bible tells us in Revelation 13 that the beast actually comes from out of the ocean. The ocean being both literal and symbolic, representing Gentile nations, tribulations, and also the literal ocean. Where the dragon and the serpent actually came from on day five. They came from the ocean. Out of the sea. And this is why Revelation 13 also tells us in verse 3 that one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Alright, these people aren't worshiping a snake. They're not saying who could wage war against the snake. All right? Where else has that where else has this exact question been asked before in the Bible? Who can wage war against it? Job 41 verse 9 through 10. Any hope of Okay, this that's in the description of Leviathan. Job 41:9-10. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Nothing on earth is its equal a creature without fear. That doesn't sound like a snake at all. So their identity and purpose is deeply tied together to the woman, both for the serpent being Satan, the dragon, and the woman and her offspring. The Bible goes on to say, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, God uses the male form of the word he as a prophecy concerning Jesus, the offspring of the woman concerning the church, and the head of the serpent concerning Satan and the dragon, the image of the beast, the passages that's found in Daniel chapter 9 concerning the Antichrist, and the Revelation 13 about the mark of the beast, the image of the beast in the third temple. Revelation chapter 12, the woman is also a sign of both the rebirth of the nation of Israel and the church. Revelation 12, 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So this isn't a snake that's waging war. It's a dragon, Leviathan, the ancient serpent called the devil. This means that at some point in time in our near future, the dragon will come to life and there will be an image made in its honor, exactly as the Bible says it will happen. Revelation 13, 15, the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Who's the first beast? the serpent, the dragon that was originally in the garden. So this is in reference to not only the Antichrist and the mark of the beast, but the actual serpent from the Garden of Eden, a dragon, or as we know it, the dinosaur. Believe it or not, at some point in time in the future, it will be brought back. Now throughout this entire passage, both chapters 2 and 3, 
the woman still does not have a name yet. Her name isn't even given until after they sin, until after God announces the curses on them. And so who gives the woman her name? Adam, her husband, names her. After everything that happened, Adam could have cursed her. He could have named her something horrible, but he doesn't. Instead, chapter 3, verse 20 tells us that Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Now, ironically, the woman that gave the object of their sin and curse to the man that caused the man to eat it from it and sin, Adam names her an honorary name. After everything that happens, he names his wife a name that means mother of all the living. Now, you would think that Adam would have named her something of the opposite, the mother of all the damned, right? Because they were removed from the garden and all mankind is cursed because of them, including the ground. But instead, the woman was given a blessing, an honorary name, Eve. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 1 concerning each day, the Bible distinguishes two things that separate a day, evening and morning. Evening, as in the name Eve, the very event just before the nightfall and darkness occurs. So why did God create the woman last? Why does Adam name his wife Eve, even after they are cursed and sinned because of her temptation? Because it was through a woman that a Savior would be born, the Son of Man, born through a virgin woman, the name of Jesus. And it wasn't until the woman was created when man was made complete. And it wasn't until the woman was created that God rested from his work, including every single plan for salvation and redemption through Jesus. The woman is a sign of completion the sign of marriage, the sign of unification between man and woman. She is a sign of the bride of Christ and the anointing of the Jewish people belonging to God the Father in whom the Savior of the world would be given through. And her sign is the very last sign of it all because evening occurs just before nightfall because she is the very last creation. She is the last sign. This is the redemptive message of the gospel message, the sign of the church, the sign, the bride of Christ. We are the very last sign to the earth, for the entire earth to repent and to be saved in Jesus, because the dark is coming. Darkness is coming. It's already here. Night is coming where no work is done, where evil is given its reign. The rapture is real, and it's coming. It occurs before the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period that's led by the Antichrist and the false prophet, where these horrific judgments will be poured out upon the entire earth, those whose names aren't written in the Lamb's book of life. We are the very last sign to everyone all around us of the very truth about sin and redemption, the last chance for those to hear the truth and the gospel message. To the church, this is a warning to get to work. To those who are working, this is a sign of hope. Our redemption is near, and those who aren't a part of the church, this is your very last chance. Look around you. Does it look like things are going to get better? Jesus is at the door. He is knocking. And how are you going to answer it? Are you going to ignore him? If you do, he is going to ignore you when the time of salvation comes and the harvest is divided. 
There's going to be no refuge. There will be no safe haven, no food or water or rest for the wicked, even those who claim to be Christians and yet have rejected the truth and rejected God's word and are not obedient to Jesus. Now is the time to examine where your heart truly is, because any minute and at any hour now, it can happen. He is coming. He is coming again. So, guys, this concludes this video's message. If you've got any questions at all, any concerns or comments, please feel free to get in touch with me on our site or by email, brandon at tribalchristians.com, or you can leave a comment below. Just remember to stay encouraged, keep running your race, keep fighting the good fight of faith, and remember to never lose hope and always, always place your trust in Jesus.